Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Today we return to our conversation with Pastor Ron Ralph for the conclusion of the interview about Faith Promise Missions Giving. Brother Ron is my pastor. He's the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee. And as you'll hear today, he has a pastor's heart. When he started Cornerstone and introduced the church to Faith Promise, it wasn't something that he did to them. It certainly wasn't something they did for him. It's something they did together. And they continue to do Faith Promise together. And as Brother Ron describes the symbolic meaning of faith promise, you get a unique glimpse into his heart for his people as they give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name and bring an offering. We'll back up just a bit in the course of the interview as we resume our conversation about Faith Promise Missions giving, starting with how Cornerstone does its annual Faith Promise Missions Conference. You almost cannot define um, what God blesses and what God favors. Um, I, I would like to say that what you've just described about our missions conference would be true of our church in general in every aspect. Uh, but I do believe this. I believe that when—and again, we're, neither one of us and most Bible believers shouldn't be against churches that, that might be a bit more gimmicky, if you will, to use your word. But I do believe this. What's going to produce lasting effects, what's going to get people's heart to do something on a consistent basis for 52 weeks out of the year or for 10 years or 20 years in their lives, is when the Word of God gets a hold of their heart. So we try to focus on uh, the reason you ought to do this is because it's biblical and God honors it and God blesses it. If I could do the things that might stir them up for that week and get them all emotional and to make some kind of commitment uh, on the last night... Uh, because of all the things we did to get them stirred up, uh, that'll die out too quickly. So if we keep it simple and allow the Word of God to do the work and the Holy Spirit to get a hold of their heart, then it's going to have a lasting effect, and that's our goal. Well, you just said that that you hope that that the description that I gave of the missions conference is true for Cornerstone around uh, you know throughout the year. By my observation, I really think that that's the key to the great to to the missions conference that we have here every year. Yes, is what is emphasized not just the week of missions conference because missions missionaries ministry to others, uh, being a blessing to other people, trying to show kindness to God's servants. That is not a four day event at Cornerstone. It's a it is part and parcel to everything that we do as a church. And I think that that meeting is really just sort of the crescendo of what is cultivated and emphasized around here at Cornerstone throughout the year. But it is a big week, and, and one of the and the highlight of that week, I'd say, um, the crescendo of the crescendo, if you would, the, 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 the big night is is Wednesday night. So the meeting, it goes Sunday through Wednesday, and again, even the even the schedule is is just there's a simplicity to it. The only thing going on is uh, the is the services in the evenings. Um, there's a the, the traditionally we do a meal for the for the whole church family on Wednesday night before the service, but then on Wednesday night, as families enter the sanctuary, 
they you have ushers standing at the door that provide a faith promise commitment card. Um, you probably have already given some instructions about that prior to the meeting. You may review some of the how this works, although Cornerstone at this stage is is thoroughly familiar with the program. And then at the close of the service, uh, there there's normally an invitation after after any of the services. A guest preacher comes and preaches, but on Wednesday night. You encourage the church family to respond by making their faith promise, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it was, for me in those years that I was uh, pastoring, it was one of the most, watching Cornerstone, even as a pastor of another church, watching Cornerstone take its faith promise, one of the most therapeutic things that, that I experienced every year as a pastor, just gave some perspectives to, to some things and so and was an encouragement. But would you walk us through that night and uh, explain to us what you refer to sometimes as the symbolic aspect of faith promise and how you see that manifested on the night that the church takes its commitment? Okay, I, I will answer that question. I will get to how we handle that Wednesday night service. But I, I, I have to broaden that question, and I have to give you a lot more information than you probably want because earlier we were talking about the simplicity of some of the things we do around here, and I want to I want to say two things, at least two things here. Number one, I take no credit for that. Um, it just God just gave me some folks that had a heart for people, and and they practice what I preach better than I do, and I've learned from watching them, and so then I'll I'll learn from watching them, and then I'll grab it and put it in a sermon. And just preach to them what they ought to be doing, which is what they've already been doing sometimes. So that's that's one thing I want to say. And then secondly, um, when we get to Wednesday night, some people might think that that what we're going to do on Wednesday night is the culmination of three or four nights of preaching. I thank God for those three or four nights of preaching, and inevitably, for the most part, we've never had a dud. I mean, it's been a, a great... Uh, thing to, to see how God orchestrates and how God gives the preachers exactly what we need for those three or four nights. But really, that Wednesday night is the culmination of a, of a year-long uh, process. And our folks are just, throughout the year, they are seeing God bless their efforts to give. They are seeing God bring in people to the church uh, because they maybe saw someone else in our church ministering to someone I could go on and on and on and elaborate here, but here's the point. By the time we get to Wednesday night, it's a culmination of an entire year-long process, not just three or four nights of preaching. I'm afraid that some pastors want to have three or four nights of preaching to create a an atmosphere, and it simply will not work. Uh, I believe if we ever have revival, it'll be the result of people... Uh, drawing nigh to God in every aspect of their lives, and then what happens in a revival meeting or on a Wednesday night service will be the culmination of that as well. So uh, to be more specific, I, I base much of what we do on Wednesday night on Psalm 96, and it's well worth taking a look at. Uh, I realize that uh, the offerings of the Old Testament and uh, the sacrifices of the Old Testament are not the same as now in the New Testament. But we are to present our bodies. We are to offer up the sacrifice of praise. To say that giving and sacrifice is only Old Testament would be foolish, of course. 
And in Psalm 96, the Bible says, and I'm going to read a rather lengthy text here, O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. And I'm not here to preach, but um, Psalm 96 is a great place to go and show folks how in the Old Testament, God had a global plan just as much as He does now. God was interested in the nations back then just as much as He is now. And as God planned to use Israel to be a light to the world, He's now using the church to be a light to the world. And that's what you're reading about here. God's interested among the heathen. He's he's interested among all people. He's interested in all the earth in verse 1. Then verse 4 says, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations, and there's the nations plural again, are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. And here's the verse. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. And so... I've tried to present to Cornerstone uh, the, the, the picture, the, the symbolism that when we bring that offering and make a commitment to give so many dollars every week, X number of dollars every week, uh, to the cause of Christ around the world, that it's a beautiful picture of us coming to an altar, laying down our gift, and saying to God, you're worthy of this and much more. And my folks love that. They, they see the symbolism. And you said when you came up here it was therapeutic. I've been preaching for over 40 years. And uh, in over 40 years of all the things I've seen God do through the people of God, there's nothing that I enjoy more than that moment. Because to me, it's a picture not only of the symbolism of God's people giving and sacrificing for the benefit of others, but I look at a body, a local church, and I see that body as the body of Christ. And doing New Testament church, New Testament missions, in other words, so much of what we do, and and it's necessary, it's a necessary evil, I suppose, but so much of what we do is ritualistic, it's mechanical, it's methodical. Every Sunday we go and we grab our Bible, put it under our arm, grab a songbook, sing a song, we go through the motions. But I'm telling you, for that moment on a Wednesday night at our missions conference, it's as real as anything I ever see in Christianity and uh, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful symbol of God's people giving back. You know, in 2 Corinthians 8, when, when God wants to illustrate for us uh, how to give, He pictures His Son, and, and He says, Though He was rich, He became poor for your sakes. Well, if, if, we can, if we can become a little bit more poor, if you will, in order to make somebody rich in the Philippines, I think we're emulating what God did for us at Calvary. And it's just a beautiful thing. So it's a highlight for me as well and therapeutic for me as well. The the Corinthian church was they made a commitment a year in advance of of how they were going to contribute. You can find that in Second Corinthians eight and verse ten, I believe it is. And that's how we do our faith promise. So when when people respond and families come together, which is one of the one of the beautiful things about that night. Families come, they fill out their cards when they get in the altar. 
Um, they they keep a portion of it. They they take the other section and they leave it in the altar. Um, and then those are those are gathered up. I don't know if it's always been the practice cornerstones practice. As long as I've come around, it has. They go ahead and and compute the the giving and they make an announcement. And it, it is it is an exciting thing when that is when that's announced. But as you said earlier, you don't know who gives what. There are no names that are that are placed on the cards. It's not a pledge. Nobody's going to check up on them if they do or do not follow through on their promise. Um, but that's one of the beautiful things about it. When when that announcement is made, uh, ever it doesn't the 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 kid that filled out a card and is given a dollar a week to foreign missions rejoices in the announcement of that faith promise. The way that the businessman that's going to give five hundred dollars a week to to worldwide missions, and it's something that the that the family of God rejoices in together. And there are no heroes. It is the Lord that gets the that gets the glory as He works in the hearts of His people and through His people corporately. And that's one of the beautiful things about that meeting. Well, amen. And it's simply, uh, it's just about as New Testament as you can get. And to elaborate on what you just said, a few years ago, we started uh, contacting the missionaries who are coming to our church. And we asked them, what size clothes do you wear? Uh, Your wife, your children, what size shoe? What are some things they would like to have? We want to know what you want, anything from a $5 item to a $10 million item. We really want to know. We're not making any promises. We're just curious about what your needs and wants are. Share that with us. Well, we've started doing that, and then I present to the church. Here's a list of missionaries who are coming, their wives, their children, and here's some things they would either need or want. And if you'd like to purchase those items, put them in a box or wrap them if you want to. We don't have to. And then we're going to put them in a room when they get here and say, hey, there's your things that the church wants to give you. Nobody puts their name on those boxes either. Right. And what I love about the people at Cornerstone who, again, do a lot better job at this than I do, is they love doing that and getting no credit for it. And like you said, that's because the Lord gets the glory. Whereas, you know, let's face it, sometimes the only reason some people give is so they'll get a tax write-off <laughs> or so they'll get some kind of attention for it. So I thank God for people that are willing to do that, and I think the Lord loves it as well. I want to digress just a little bit and and talk about your approach to to missions and to missions giving. We've been using some conventional language throughout this conversation. It's just necessary. We've used the word missions. We've talked about missions giving and mission support. And missions is normally thought of as being foreign. A lot of people have a pretty exotic kind of conception of what missions is. And then some would would limit missions to only church planting, and in some cases church planting on a foreign field, cross-culturally. But that's not exactly your approach to missions, and that's not exactly what you've taught the people here. They understand they're giving to something that is broader than that. From week to week throughout the year, and even in the conferences you preach, you place the emphasis not so much on missions per se, but on an even bibl- an even more biblical word. The word missions is not found in the Bible. The word that is found in the Bible over and over and over and over again, including these various passages related to financial giving, is the word ministry. So I'm, I'm, I wanted you to address that emphasis and see if I can frame this. 
the way that that biblical emphasis and local church philosophy bleeds over from what you're trying to see accomplished day to day in the lives of the people who, as you already expressed, Cornerstone is interested in others. The families here just have a, an attitude of, of ministry and a lifestyle of ministry. So how does that how does that biblical emphasis on ministry bleed over from what you're trying to see accomplished in the day-to-day lives of the people and then Cornerstone's approach to missions support? Well, a lot of these questions are interconnected to each other. And when we talk about simplicity, that not only affects our missions, it also affects what we would call soul winning and evangelism. Let me try to say it this way without being critical. I am not, hey, there are churches that are a lot more evangelistic than we are. There are a lot of of men that are a lot more evangelistic than I am. There are men who are a lot better soul winners than I am. I respect them. I admire them. they, They provoke me. So I'm not being critical when I say this. But maybe we ought to ask ourselves the question, should I emphasize... Uh, going out and passing out tracks and being a soul winner, or maybe having a visitation every week to go knock on doors and be a soul winner, or would we get more accomplished if we emphasized uh, getting right with God and caring about people? I tell Cornerstone and other churches too, but I tell Cornerstone in the 1940s and 50s in America, lost people seem to care more about their neighbor than saved people do today. So if you just care about people, genuinely care about them, a lot of other things just come naturally. If I care about my neighbor, I'm going to care about his soul. So, and, and, and so relating that to your question, um, Jesus said, I didn't come to minister, but to be, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister to others and to give my life a ransom for many. And so as you study that word minister or ministry in the New Testament, which is just throughout the Pauline epistles, what I have discovered is that when people start caring about others, when they genuinely care, then money takes care of itself. You know, the, the Good Samaritan, so-called Good Samaritan, uh, cared. Well, it cost him. There's a cost that goes with caring. And so as our folks have uh, resolved, they've just made up their mind to care about our neighbors, to care about um, missionaries, to care about preachers, to care about those around them, uh, it has just bled over into, well, if we care, then we've got to do something about it. I'll, I'll, I'll use an illustration here. Years and years ago, uh, Brother Philip Gaddish came to our church. He was green. He was young. He was, not, he was not a mature Christian at the time. And as he came in our church, there was a heart in his heart and his wife's heart that just was tender. They loved people and they cared about people. Brother Philip wanted us to get involved in literally knocking on every door in Carthage. And so we did. And I put him in charge of that or let him head it up. And he did a great job. And before I knew it, there were people going out all the time out of our church as he orchestrated this, knocking on doors, trying to help people, trying to care about people, trying to show an interest in people. And amazingly, uh, we, I don't think we had any results. I don't think we ever saw any one person come to our church as a result of that. On the other hand, God called Brother Philip to Australia, and Brother Philip ended up in Australia. And then Jason Young ends up in Australia. And, of course, now we've got about a dozen men out of our church called to the foreign mission field. Well, in the meantime, people that we never knocked on their door have moved to our county and joined this church. People from all over Middle Tennessee and even other states. 
I strongly believe that God looked at some people at Cornerstone and said, there are some folks that care about people. Here are some people that need somebody to care for them, and he sends them to our church. The principle is that, that I don't try to grow the church. God grows the church. As we care about people, then God sends people here that we can care for. And as we care for them, many of them get called out to go somewhere else. And so now, hopefully, we're caring about people in the Philippines, and we're caring about people in Fiji, and we're caring about people in Belize, and so on. But once you start that process... It's pretty easy when you have a missions conference and you see the great need. Now you're not just helping a total stranger uh, in the Philippines or a total stranger in Australia, though you love that missionary that you don't really know. You love him and care about him. Now you've got people that you've spent years with and they've been in your home. You've been in their home. You know their children. You call them all by a first-name basis. You know their birthdays. You know their anniversaries. It just seems pretty easy then to send them your money. So sure. that's how this thing of ministry leads into missions real easily. Well, you really that and that emphasis is it's a biblical emphasis. Sure. Um, the the passage that you quoted earlier from First Corinthians sixteen about giving, in the context, it's the it's ministering to saints. Second Corinthians eight and nine has to do in its context with ministering to saints. But what I learned as as I studied these passages at the same time is that the ministry to the saints that's emphasized in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 results by the time you get to chapter 10 in the gospel going to the regions beyond. Yes. And and every place, and, and I hope our listeners will check this out, just about every place where you find... Uh, where, where you find giving, sacrificial giving, to minister to the needs of even saints, it is going to be connected to getting the gospel to places where it is not and establishing churches where there are no churches. It's true, and it was true at Antioch in their, in their giving to the church at Jerusalem, and next thing you know, they're sending out foreign missionaries two chapters later. It's true in Romans chapter 15, where Paul's interested in taking a collection for poor saints at the same time that he's met, that he's planning his own missionary journeys. It's true uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So these things are related, and, and sometimes because of our certain perceptions of the way budgets ought to be organized— <laughs> Or certain just preconceptions that we have that 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 we bring with us to to the institution of the church, we say, well, you can't spend missions money on that. It's not going to plant a church. Wait, wait a second. We want to be biblical above above all else, and we want to put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis in Scripture. And that's not only yes, absolutely, we want to preach the gospel to every creature including the creatures that we've never met in exotic places around the world. We want to see churches established where there are no churches. But you can't divorce that from ministry. And uh, one of the, that's, that's one of the amazing things that I think that I've witnessed develop just in the few years that I've been acquainted with Cornerstone here is as there's an emphasis locally on loving God and loving your neighbor, on ministering to people and caring about people, the next thing you know, God is sending God is sending men all over the world. Well, without a doubt, um, that's what's happened. And, and and when people ask me, I don't know how many preachers, pastors have asked me how this all came about. I don't have an answer. 
So what I, what I would like to emphasize and interject into this part of the discussion is I fear uh, that too many of us, pastors and maybe too many churches, try to produce a desired end where what we ought to do is just be faithful to what God's given us to do. And those natural results are the end we're looking for. But we try to produce the end and go about it our way. So if I would just be faithful, and th- by the way, this is how this is how we do a lot of things at Cornerstone um, that may seem a little out of the box, or it may not seem traditional or even baptistic. But there are things that God has given me clear direction to do, and I didn't know why. I did. I wasn't trying to produce anything. I was trying to be faithful. For example, for two years, when we not long after we started this church, I canceled all Sunday school. Brought everybody into the sanctuary and taught on the home for about two years. Well, that's all I knew to do. I wasn't trying to produce any particular goal or end. Well, now looking back on it, I see all that came as a result of that. So whether it's faith promise or soul winning, evangelism, or whatever other ministry you get involved in, if we'll just be faithful, God will take care of the results. Sure, and I I think you would acknowledge that um, what's developed here is not even something that you necessarily orchestrated no, or by no means. coordinated intentionally. I, I don't know when, when you hosted that first missions conference in November of 1991, there was no way for you to possibly think of think 29 years down the road and the men that would be going out of this church it's not something that you had to do on purpose it's something that the lord did through you as you did what you knew you were supposed to do i suppose people that don't know me might think this is false humility or maybe some that know me might think it's false humility but i'm simply not that smart and and when we started this church after 13 years as a pastor in the convention, that's when I started Cornerstone. And what I said to God when we started this church is I'm wore out with plans and programs, and I'm wore out with trying to do things man's way with man's agendas and so on. And so I honestly started afresh and anew in 1991 when we started this church saying, God, I'm going to need every single day, like Solomon, get up every day and say, God, I don't know how to go out or come in. And I did not look down the road 10 years and say, here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to be. That never entered my mind. Uh, even when I was in the convention, some of my best preacher friends had this this long-range plan of how they were going to climb the ecclesiastical ladder, and here's where they wanted to be at 30, and here's where they wanted to be at 40. That's simply never been my approach. I'm, it is not false humility. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to be faithful day by day. Uh, I mean this with all my heart. I've never tried to build anything. I'm not trying to build a church. I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be faithful to what God called me to do. And in that process, fortunately, uh, I, I've done a few things that evidently please the Lord, and He's blessed it far beyond my expectations. Well, that, uh, that approach of just faithfulness and obedience, getting the mind of the Lord, operating in dependence upon the Lord— that's that's really the philo- the philosophy. That's the approach when it comes to allocating the missions dollars too. Yes, there is a significant um, investment in cross cultural church planting, but um, the emphasis, I guess, for for Cornerstone has been on supporting missionaries. But the Lord may also put upon the church's heart to send a gift to a local pastor that's struggling. Um, it's and and the beautiful thing about that is that you could get in the pulpit here at Cornerstone on Wednesday night 
and you could announce to the church, you know what, we, we sent a, we sent, there's, there's this preacher in such and such a place and he's struggling and we sent him this much money and there's going to be a, a roar of amens from the pews because the people are excited to see ministry done. And it's not just, it's, it's, it's around the world, but it's, it's local as well. Well, what what a tragedy it would be to uh, send thousands of dollars to someone in Romania who has a need and then know of someone in your own church that has a need and say, I can't help them. So, yes, it's, it's, it's local. It's global. Uh, we don't just support missionaries. We try to help pastors. I think it's, I think it's sort of sad, really, that there are so many uh, pastors and churches willing to support a fellow to go to Indonesia, let's say, or Ethiopia— and in order for him to be free to build a church or to start a church and reach people, they want to support him. But then there's some fellow that wants to go to Maine and do the same thing. And because he's in the United States, the attitude is, well, we can't help him. I, I don't buy into that philosophy. I believe we should be sensitive to help everybody we can wherever they are. And I'm not trying to put a, I'm not trying to put a new dart on the wall on a map so I can cover the globe. I'm just trying to help those that we come in contact with. God touches our heart. And I, and I should say this, a lot, of, a lot of times the reason I'm sensitive to a need that probably God wants us to help meet is because somebody in my church mentions to me that need. It might be a, a man that works at a factory who tells me about somebody whose home burned down. It might be some man in my church that heard about a preacher and I knew nothing about it. So a lot of times the way I know needs are out there is the folks, again, that are sensitive to that. And so we try to, we try to use that missions money any way we can to be a blessing to the body of Christ and to church planting missionaries as well. Well, this is this is the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you about faith promise. It's the the philosophy is actually very unsophisticated, yes. and and I and I say that as a as a compliment. There's a simplicity to it. It's it's something that it's not highly programmed. It's it's I mean it's it's organized. It's not disorganized, but it's not over organized either. You can organize the Lord out of something if you're not careful. And uh, because of that, I think the way that Cornerstone has approached this whole this whole enterprise of faith promise, it's something that any church that's got a pastor that walks with God and people that that love the Bible and love others, just about any church could do could do this in terms of uh, in terms of faith promise missions giving. I know of a church that I preach at. Uh, that has probably 15 people, and they support 12 missionaries. So, yes, it, it is simply, I mean, anybody that has an income can help somebody else. Uh, now, that might be a stretch in terms of the way I just said it, but uh, almost anybody that gets their priorities in order is, is going to be able to help somebody else. Well, if you take 10 people that are willing to do that, then you can help missionaries, or you can help pastors, or you can help whoever you choose to help. So yes, anybody can get involved. So what would you say to a pastor that wants to see their church do more for missions, but is just not quite sure where to begin? What would you tell them? This is this is this is where you this is where you can start if you want to get your church more involved. Well, it's probably oversimplistic, but everything I've ever done. Um, which is which is pretty simplistic, is just starting where I'm at. 
Um, you know, I believe that I believe that a pastor who has a small church, maybe they're maybe they are challenged financially. Maybe they maybe they inherited a debt. This pastor inherited debt when he got there, and they're trying to get out of debt and so on. I believe if he has a heart for missions, the the simplest way to start is to say, hey, we're going to support missionaries. And whether you have a missions conference or invite a missionary to come to your church on a Sunday night, simply do something. And slowly God will open that thing up. Slowly he will develop it. Let him do it. And so just start where you are with either one missionary coming in on a Sunday night or get a hold of a pastor or a preacher that you know has a passion for missions, the same way that I would invite someone to come in and help me with soul winning. Uh, maybe my folks are not the, the most uh, aggressive soul winners in the world, and I want to help them. Well, I'm going to find a pastor or a preacher who is more passionate about it and have him come in, and hopefully it'll bleed over. Hopefully it'll, it'll be contagious. So I think if I was a, a pastor and I wanted to get my church involved in missions, I would either just do it myself and have a missionary come in, or I'd get a hold of a pastor or a preacher that would come and preach and challenge my people. So if you were if you were going to counsel a, a pastor that was going to host their very first ever missions conference to try to kick this off, what do you think are some of the essential features for every missions conference? Something that can be done regardless of the size of the church that you would strongly encourage a pastor to to incorporate in their missions conference. Well, I, that that's a tough question. I'm only going to say two things, and. Um, I'm sure that I could, there's bound to be a better answer, and I would love to put more thought into the answer. But two things, missionaries and preaching. That's all you need. <laughs> you need missionaries and preaching. You know, and, and I say that for this reason. I'm going to elaborate here, and I'll probably get in trouble with whoever listens to this. But it doesn't cost any money to have a missionary, and it doesn't cost any money to have a preacher. I say that for this reason. Yes, we believe that the labor is worthy of his hire. Yes, we want to give an offering to whoever comes in our church. Yes, we want to... Uh, go above and beyond the call of duty and treat that missionary and that guest preacher right. Okay, I believe all that. But if, a, if, 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 if you were in Bruton, and this was not the case when I first started coming to Bruton, but if you were in Bruton and you just walked into a situation where you were strapped financially and you simply could not do anything because you didn't have a motel to put anybody in, you didn't have any money to give an offering, et cetera, et cetera, I think that if you want to help missionaries, a missionary is going to be more than happy to come down there and get to meet your people just for uh, the sake of helping your church, but also to say to those people, will you please do me a favor and pray for me? So he's going to get prayer support. Secondly, any preacher who's genuine and about getting the gospel around the world and being a blessing to others is going to be willing to come down there and say, please let me come and please don't give me anything. I want to be a blessing to your church. So I think you can have missions and preaching and that's all it takes. And you should be able to do that in any situation. Well, you have preached a lot of missions conference. I'm sure that there that a missions conference is about like a, uh, any church or any preacher or any, any individual for that matter. It's got its own personality. What do you think on the on the other end of the spectrum? What do you think are some conference pitfalls that you see that churches would do well to try to avoid? Well, I didn't realize that my answer is going to fit well to my previous answer. I hadn't even thought about that until just now. But too much going on, too many festivities, too many activities. Uh, you don't have to entertain these missionaries all day long. Um, as you have already alluded to at our missions conference, for the most part, we have church at night. We don't have a lot going on during the daytime. 
So I go to a good number of missions conferences, and I might even say other kinds of meetings, but I go to these missions conferences where there's two and three meals a day, and there's all kinds of activities, or they take the missionaries out street preaching and, and, and get them pretty involved in the ministry right there locally. And I think it's a distraction from what, what they should be trying to accomplish. So I think trying to accomplish too much in one week or trying to do too much, I think, of course, I, I'm sort of an oddball. I think meals are a distraction to all of us in a lot of areas. <laughs> uh, but And I would add this. Um, for me, personally, again, every pastor is going to have to do what he feels good about. But I think another pitfall is using the missions conference to try to invite local people into your church to let them see what kind of church you have. I don't invite visitors to our missions conference. Uh, it is not a typical meeting. It's, 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 most people would not understand what goes on in our missions conference. So I don't see it as an evangelistic or outreach tool locally. So I, if I could tell a pastor how to have a missions conference, I'd tell him, you don't have to overdo it with activities. You don't have to, do, you don't have, to have meals two and three times a day. And it's not an opportunity to invite the community to your church service. So those are some of the things that I would call pitfalls. Well, with those things said, where where do you is there some place that you might refer churches and pastors if they wanted to learn more about this whole idea of faith promise giving? Well, you probably aren't expecting this answer, but I'd probably tell them to call Lee Cadenhead. <laughs> uh, you've done a lot of you've done your homework when it comes to missions, Brother Lee. And uh, so a lot of people would get help just by sitting down and having a conversation with you. Obviously, I've been pastoring for 40 years. We've been doing Faith Promise for almost 30 years. I would be glad to help them. I really think rather than reading a book, rather than calling a mission board, which is what some guys are prone to do, I, I wouldn't go that route. I simply believe that you ought to find somebody that's passionate about what you're interested in and sit down and talk to them. So if I were if I were a pastor looking for information or looking for how to get started, I would contact someone who's done their homework, knows how missions works, biblically and practically. And I think that's where you've got a great combination. But I would get a hold of those pastors. I'd sit down and have a conversation with them. You don't have to you don't even have to sit down with them. Do it on the phone or email or whatever. Now yes, we can provide information, scriptural information, we can invite we can we can provide tracts, we can provide little booklets, we can provide information about faith promise, deputation, furlough, and all of those things. But in a nutshell, I think the best thing any pastor can do is find someone who's passionate about missions and glean from him. That's the way I would approach it. I think the conversation was most helpful. I sure appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and talk through these things. Uh, I sure appreciate you and what you're leading the church here to do in the uh, in the way of Faith Promise Missions Giving. Hey, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I really do hope it helps some other pastors and some other churches, and uh, to God be the glory. Thank you, Brother Lee. Amen. One of the things that I really enjoyed about this interview with Pastor Ron Ralph is tracing the way the missions program, including Faith Promise Giving, has developed over the years in and around the local church under the leadership of its pastor. There's no doubt that Brother Ron has led the people of Cornerstone in this matter of ministry, missions, and missions giving, but it's something that he's led them to do together in a way that's consistent with Scripture as well as the personality of the church. I asked Brother Ron directly for his opinion on some things, but the spirit of what we heard in the interview was not, this is the way everybody should raise missions money, or this is the way everybody should plan a missions conference. What we heard was, this is the way the Lord has led us to support missions. And 30 years in, Cornerstone can look back 
and see that it's been the Lord's doing. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Taking the Great Commission seriously and seeking the Lord to find out what it is that we can do as the body of Christ, as local churches, as pastors, missionaries, and church members to obey and fulfill the Great Commission. I was not expecting Brother Ron's parting advice for how to learn more about Faith Promise and how churches can get involved, but if there's any way that Cornerstone, Brother Ron, or myself can inform or encourage your church's efforts to get the gospel around the world, we welcome you to contact us. You can reach me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in for today's Great Commission Conversation. And until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond, including financially supporting someone who's getting the job done. Thank you.